Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Harvey Gustav. Uh, my sermon is entitled, as you can see on the, um, on the screen, Exodus, Journey to Freedom. Exodus, Journey to Freedom. I just want to say that um, the Old Testament events and stories have captivated me as a, as a young man growing up um, in, in the church. And, and why do I say this? Even within the New Testament, you have ref, the, the, New, the New Testament has been, is, is actually referencing from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament has some amazing stories, amazing stories um, that we too, even the day that we live in today, we can actually use those stories uh, to, to better our relationship uh, with God. I, I'm by no means saying that one section of the Bible is better than the other. I'm just um, always marveled at those um, stories uh, within the, the Old Testament. Now, when we look at the journey that the Israelites took from Exodus going up to the land of Canaan, it's very interesting when we begin to look at it very closely, the obstacles that they, that they had to go through. As they began to navigate that path, we can, we can take out many, many different stories from, from the Israelites, from that journey. But before we actually go into that journey, I just want to just to shift your, uh, your attention a little bit to this illustration. How many of you love seedless oranges? You, you love seedless oranges? How many of you love seeded oranges? You like to spit the seeds out? Okay. All right. Some of you do that. All right. So there's, how many of you are farmers here? Anyone owns a farm or you love agriculture? Used to have one. All right. So some of you would know um, a process called grafting. Are, are you with me? Yeah? Grafting, right? So, for example, you've got a farm. There's a whole heap of um, uh, seeded orange plants. And then you realize, oh, no, you know what? I need to, right now, the, the market is, is driven by um, seedless oranges. What should I do? Should I uproot all of the plants and, and replant uh, uh, seedless oranges, oranges. Now nah, that's gonna be that's that's not economical. That's not effective. So so hence hence the reason why grafting was was introduced. So what happens really is that the 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 top half of the seed seeded plant is removed. Uh, are you following me? Um, a portion of that is removed, and a portion is taken from the seedless tree. And is then implanted on top of the seeded tree. Are you following me so far? As the two grow and they connect, you find that seedless oranges is now being produced. All right? Isn't that amazing? That's, that's amazing, right? At half the time, possibly half the cost. So here you have a happy farmer 
producing seedless oranges as he wanted. But we then need to realize in order for him to keep up with uh, the, producing the seedless oranges, there is some pruning and there is some maintaining to do. Are, are you agreeing with me? Because you, what, what happens is you have a seedless um, um, portion connected to a, a, a seeded portion. So, so what you have happening is that over time, the, 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 the seeded portion tree will, will, will start to, to grow sprouts. And through cross-pollination, the, 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 the seedless tree is now wanting to become a cedar tree. So, so to prevent this whole process from happening, the farmer has to continuously prune and cut off those sprouts to maintain his farm, which is producing uh, seedless oranges. Are you with me, church? When we look at this illustration... I want you to realize that as Christians, we are one being. But as the, the, the tree is connected in two, you've got the seeded and the seedless, we too have two natures within us that is competing with each other. Are you with me, church? We have an old sinful nature which we could possibly um, say this is the, 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 the seeded plant. And we have a new nature which wants to do good, which wants to produce that, that, that seedless bunch. And just as the, the orange farmer had to constantly cut off the shoots from the old nature of the orange tree, we as believers, we have to constantly cut off the old nature that produces sin. Are you with me, church? Now, in light of that illustration, I want to take you to Exodus chapter 17. And in Exodus chapter 17, we see here that there is a battle going on between two natures. Before I go into that, I just want you to bow your heads with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much, Lord, for being great, being good to us. We pray, Lord, that your holy presence will be in this place, that as uh, your message will be delivered uh, through your vessel, Lord, we pray, Father, that it will find lodgment in our hearts and that a transformation may take place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sermon titled, The Journey, Exodus, The Journey, to, to freedom. The Israelites are happy. They've been liberated from the hands of Pharaoh. 430 years in captivity has now come to an end. The Passover has given them that opportunity, that chance to now evacuate. And so they're happy they've been liberated from the hands of Pharaoh. They're no longer in Egypt, and God has delivered them. And they are now beginning a journey, a journey which seemed very, very interesting, because a lot of interesting, interesting things happened there. 
And, and, and based on the map that I've got on the screen, and you follow that red line, it basically depicts that journey that, that Israel undertook. And it was very interesting here because uh, for a moment, the Israelites thought that as they crossed through the, the, the borders of the Red Sea and they went over, they thought that they would end up directly in the promised land. Are you with me? But something interesting happened. And Moses is saying, no. We, 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 we need to take a detour. And so before we head north, we need to go down south. Before we head north, we need to go down south. Before they head to the promised land, they had to head down to Sinai. And so God never intended to take them directly from Egypt to the promised land. Many times as Christians, we may have plans for our lives. We may be excited to, to pursue a lot of plans, probably as young people. We've got plans. We want to head up north. We want to attain those goals. But one thing we forget to do at times is to head down south to ask for that guidance. Friends of mine, down south is where the preparation takes place to equip us to access the, benef the, 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 the benefits of going up north. So friends of mine, it was down south that Israel was taught lessons, lessons upon lessons of how they had to reignite that relationship that they were supposed to have with their Lord. Why was it necessary for them to have taken this detour? Why was it necessary for them to have taken the detour? At times, we need that detour. Because it's in that detour that we learn, we unlearn, and we begin to develop relationships with Jesus. Amen? I want to say this morning that when the Israelites left Egypt, it, it, it was a representation of their being justified. Amen? Putting that blood on the doorpost, exiting captivity. But the Israelites are wanting to move from justification to glorification. The Israelites are wanting to move from justification, from being justified to accessing that glorification in the promised land. One of the things that they forgot is that between justification and glorification, you've got something called sanctification. 
Normally, there's a, there's a very unique uh, phrase that is used to, to tell you what sanctification is. And normally, we as Adventists, we know it very well. Sanctification is what? A process over a lifetime. I want to say that God does not take us from justification to glorification. There is a process of unlearning, a process of learning, a process of getting to know and to build that relationship that we need for our characters to be formed in order for us to gain access to that promised land. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11, it reads, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23, it reads, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We go through the wilderness to learn unlearn, and relearn. Israelites were a nation of slaves. They hardly knew anything about worshiping God. They had a lot of unlearning to do from all the years they'd been in Egypt, and there was some pruning of those sprouts uh, to be done. And so we realize in Exodus chapter 16 that God was in the process of, of reshaping their character, reshaping that knowledge, reshaping that life. In Exodus chapter 16 here, we notice that, that God had begun to introduce and to remind them of the Sabbath. God is now telling them, hey, listen, I will not be sending you the money every single day. You've got six days to collect the manna, and the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, you ought to rest and prepare for that seventh day on, uh, by, on Friday which is the sixth day. And so God was, that's one of the things that he was doing to actually help them. So as I've said, they've been justified and they've started that journey. And when we look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, Exodus chapter 17, and the verse is verse, verse 6. Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. Israelites have now gone to a place called Marah. And in Marah, actually they had already gone past Marah, gone past Elim, and they're now in Rephidim. And it's called the wilderness of sin. And they're now in Rephidim, and, and, and they hit a roadblock again, because in Marah, they had hit one roadblock of there not being any water. And Moses said, all right, I'm going to, uh, God asked him to put that uh, tree in the water. The water became sweet. Then they went to, to Elim. Then from there, they went to the wilderness of sin, which is called Rephidim. And in there, they, 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 there was a roadblock again. And so, and so the Israelites are saying, hey, hey, you, you listen here. I've, I've, I've had enough of you, Moses. It looks like you are bringing us here to kill us. You're bringing us here because you want us all dead so that you can enrich yourself. And they were in the process of trying to stone Moses. 
And there in verse 6 of uh, chapter 17, it says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. It is very interesting, church, that after going through so many different miracles, after, after God had delivered the Israelites so many times, they, 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 they insisted on the present and the future. But you see, God was delivering them in the present, and they worried about the future. There was a reason why God did that, because God wanted them to depend on him. And so in spite of the fact that God was delivering them in the present, that was not enough for them. They needed evidence of the future. They had forgotten their bitter service in, in, in Egypt. They had forgotten the goodness and, and the power of God that he displayed in the deliverance uh, from bondage. You see, the Israelites had forgotten uh, that their children had been spared from when uh, the destroying angel through the firstborn, through the firstborn. They had forgotten the grand exhibition of divine power at the Red Sea. They had forgotten that while they had crossed safely in the path that had opened for them, the armies of their enemies attempting to follow them had been overwhelmed by the waters of the sea. Have we forgotten what God has done for us during our time of trouble? And so Moses the rock of Herod gave them water. But we see something very interesting happening here. As they drank from that rock, the Amalekites are now on sight. Verse 17, uh, chapter 17 and verse 8, it reads, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Question is, who is Amalek? Who are those people? Now, we know that in the wilderness, there were different, different tribes there. And the Amalekites were one of them. But we, we notice here that the Bible says Amalek came and fought with Israel. Upon research, I found out that the Amalekites, Amalek actually was the grandson of Esau by a concubine. I also found out that Amalekites were always at war with the children of Israel. The Amalekites were always at war with the children of Israel. Moses' generation had to fight the Amalekites. Joshua's generation had to fight the Amalekites. Um, his grandchildren had to fight the Amalekites. Actually, King Saul had to fight the Amalekites if we go to First Chronicles. And you know, when, you know how all of this started? All of this started way back in Genesis chapter 25, 23 uh, to 26, when Jacob and Esau was born by Jacob holding the heel of Esau as those guys came out. Genesis chapter uh, 20, 25 says, God told uh, the imam, hey, listen, you've got two nations battling within you. And so even in the wilderness said the Amalekites, which stemmed from Esau, is now still battling, is still angry against God. 
And if you read the book, uh, Patriots and Prophets, it speaks of God had given the Amalekites the opportunity to repent. But the Amalekites had already decided in their mind that they wanted nothing to do with God. And all they wanted to do was to fight against him and his children. And so just as the Israelites will constantly be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation, so we too, friends, we will constantly be at war with this sinful nature within us. There will always be, there will continuously be that battle that we have to face no matter where on the ladder we are spiritually. And so the Amalekites here in that journey to freedom represents that old sinful nature. Romans chapter 7 verse 18 to 19 it reads, For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good, I do, not, I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do, that I practice. I find then a law that what? Evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. Oh, wretched man. And this, I'm going to be expounding on this last verse very, very soon. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul here is acknowledging that there is that battle going on within him. And as we've seen here through that journey that the Israelites are going through, I am likening the, the Amalekites attacking um, the Israel, Israelites and God saying that they will continuously be in that position as a, as a means by saying that the Amalekites represented that old sinful nature. It is interesting and it is very important to understand when the Amalekites appeared on the scene. When did the Amalekites appear on the scene? As we read verse, uh, verse, verse uh, 6 um, in chapter 17 of Exodus, we, we read here, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Herb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the... So... So after Moses struck the rock, the people drank from what? They drank from that rock. They drank from that rock. What was our scripture reading? Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all the same spiritual, all drank from the, the same spiritual drink, for they drink of that what? Of that rock that followed them. And that rock was who? Jesus Christ. 
And what we notice in there, as soon as the, the Israelites drank from that rock, and in, in Corinthians we see here the rock was Jesus Christ. As soon as the Israelites uh, found their, 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 their faith back in God and they, and they realized, hey, he is now delivered us yet again. As soon as they were on that spiritual high, boom, the Amalekites came on board. Don't you feel that way sometimes? You've struggled through your problems and you found your way with God and you've you're now taking off in your spiritual life. And just as you're about to take off, something happens. Just as you're about to take off and, and to increase that relationship with God, something happens. The Amalekites become, comes on sight. The devil throws something at you to discourage you. Friends of mine, we are fighting a battle not between flesh and blood, but the battle is a spiritual one. And so the Amalekites came. You know, one of the things that I got baptized at the age of 10. Grew up back in the West Indies. And there was a bunch of us who got baptized together, some of different age. And one of the things that we thought that when we got out of that water, we would not face any temptations. We called ourselves the Hebrew boys. And we would be walking around with LNG White books, with our Bibles, and we would constantly be discussing um, um, the scriptures, and I tell you what, we thought that um, if God would have come now, we would have been raptured. We were the, 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 the last day Enoch or something of that sort. But friends of mine, it wasn't long. It wasn't long. We began to be attacked one by one by one. And it was so bad that up to this day, some of those friends of mine that I had, they've been completely wiped off. I'm not even sure if they're still in the church. See, friends of mine, the devil is not your friend. When you make a decision to follow God, we need to expect, we need to be on guard that he will be there to attack. I want to take your attention back to Romans chapter 7, verse 18 to 19. I'm sure if you can see this good. Verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? From the body of death. Now, we understand that here Paul was relating to this sinful nature. We understand that. But I want to pull your insights a little bit further to, to another perspective. And I want to 
ask you, are you aware of the different forms of punishment that the Romans executed back in those days? One of them we knew very well, it was execution. Another one, you were thrown in the colossal in the, in the arena and, you know, being attacked by, by animals. Another one was, you'll be thrown inside a bag with all sorts of animals and, 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 and thrown in, in the river. But I want to take your attention here because when I, when I went through this article, I thought, wow, Paul really knew what he was talking about. And the referencing is there, so if you want to check it out tonight or this afternoon or check it out on Google. And this is what I realized there, some Romans 24 insights. Roman society knew a gruesome form of capital punishment practiced primarily by Etruscan pirates in northern Italy in which the body of the murdered person would be chained to the murderer hand-to-hand, face-to-face, etc., in the hot Mediterranean sun, the body would quickly decay, spreading not only rancid odor, but also deadly infection to the murderer. The doomed criminal would carry this awful burden until the decay and infection from the corpse finally ended his own miserable existence. Uh, it was only possible to be freed from the horrors of this punishment if someone else chose to carry the body in the place of the murderer carrying it to his death. Do you think Paul understood what he was writing when he said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Friends of mine, the sinful nature, this is, not, not, this is not a joke. And each and every one of us today sitting here, we're going through that very same issue. And Paul is, based on this insight, and we, we, when we begin to, to look at it in, in, with, with, with those lenses, we realize how bad it is to be affected and to be connected and attached by sin. But there's a very interesting part here at the end which says, it was only possible to be freed from the horrors of this punishment if someone else chose to carry. Oh, am I not? I am elated this morning that I am free of this body of sin. Are you with me, church? We, we, you know, 2,000 years ago on that cross, Jesus took the punishment, the ultimate punishment of death so that you and I can have victory over the sins of our lives. And so whatever you might be going through this morning, whatever obstacle might be in your way this morning, we know that we can, we are no longer slaves. To, yes, we are sinners, but we are no longer slaves to sin because Jesus Christ has paid the price. And we ought to be confident about that and preach it with boldness and tell others of the greatness 
and the goodness of God. In spite of the fact that that sinful nature is here, we have victory over it. Amen? This is my last point. How can we have victory over Amalek? How can we have victory over that sinful nature? I know I've just touched on it, but let's look at it. Exodus chapter 17, because we're looking at what we're trying to do is uh, we, we're, taking, we're taking snippets of that journey and, 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 then, and then we're translating it into our own spiritual life. And so as the, uh, uh, Israel is now going through this, 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 this journey and being faced with Amalek, we, we, we equate that to us being faced with that old sinful nature. And here, here, we, here we go in 17, 8 to 11. And, and now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, why did Israel decide to fight with Amalek, the Amalekites? Remember I told you that uh, you read in page 293, Patriots and Prophets, Ellen White speaks about this, and she said that the Amalekites had already made up their mind. This is who they are. They are the sinful nature. They will fight against God's children. God had given them the opportunity to repent. They said, no, we are going to fight against Israel. You know what they did? The weak and feeble ones by the way, we had about over 600,000 people taken through that journey. Over 600,000 people, Israelites, taken through that journey. And so the feeble ones and the older ones who were lagging behind, what the Amalekites would do, they would come and they would kill them off. They would torture them and kill them off. And Moses... Uh, said enough is enough and this is when probation ended for the Amalekites God said enough is enough you've done the worst thing that you could ever do and that is to touch the weak and feeble ones belonging to me friends of mine we serve a God who is loving but at the same time he is very very sensitive with his children I'm not a parent but I'm sure a lot of you who are parents say, if somebody comes and smacks your kid, oh. Maybe if they just look at them in an awful way, that's, that's problems there. And so God is saying, hey, no, I'm not standing for that. And it's, it's amazing to have to serve a God who has so much interest in you. And he said, no. Probation has ended for you now. We're going to go to battle. Um, so, and, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the roar of God in my hands. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. We're looking at the last 
uh, uh, the last point of the sermon, how do we now gain victory over Amalek? How do we now gain victory over those things, sinful habits that we have? How do we now gain victory over those addictions that we have? What, what are those addictions? And you know what they are. I don't have to mention them. Do some self-searching, as I'm doing right now. Because we no longer want to be slaves. Romans says that we're no longer slaves. But are we enslaving ourselves? Even though we've now been, been provided the victory. You know, one of the things I like here is that Aaron, her, and Moses, they went up on the hill. Very interesting point. Back in the Caribbean, if you go through the Caribbean, you do, because I'm from St. Lucia, and you go through the others, you can see the footprints of the British, the French, the Spanish. They were all there. And one of the things that they did was they made sure that they got the nice high point because they were constantly being attacked. Everyone wanted the islands, Caribbean islands, right? So they had to position themselves at the top of the hill. And if you go there, you notice that their cannons still set up there, ready to face the enemy. And as soon as they saw the enemy, boom, destroyed. And so Moses and, and Joshua and Aaron, it's amazing. You know, you think that the Bible, they had a strategy to win that fight. And as they went up on that hill, listen to me, they didn't go down in the valley where the other guys were fighting. To win the battle, they had to go up on that hill. But Moses' hands became very tired, very heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands. Amazing teamwork. Amazing teamwork. They understood what was going on. Took a stone, put it on him and sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands. One on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until... The going down of the sun. Imagine now, the guy's up there probably about 6 o'clock in the morning. With his hands up. Until the going down of the sun. So Joshua, this is the amazing part. Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. As Moses was there. Oh, but by the way, by the way, I just want to say Joshua in Greek. What is it? What does it? What does it come out to be? Jesus, Jesus. So Joshua, being a type of Jesus, leads his people into battle. And Moses, being another type of Christ, is now on the on the mountain, lifting his hands. Do you know that when you believe in Christ? He gives you the ability to strategize your battle. And not just the ability to draw the plan and to strategize that battle, but he actually fights the battle with you. But friends of mine, even during the time of fighting that battle, as Moses 
was raising his hands in spite of how spiritual Moses was, in spite of how close he was to God, human nature kicked in. And he could not leave his hands up even if he wanted victory for the Israelites. And so, friends, just at us, sometimes we go through issues in life and, 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 and we follow the, the biblical principle and we continue to praise God in the time of sorrow and in the time of tribulation. But we notice that the weeks and days and months and years have gone past and we're still in the same tribulation. The gravitational force begins to to win and begins to pull down on us. And we no longer, and we begin to run out of that strength. But the Bible here is saying, just as the time when Moses was beginning to fall victim of that gravitational force, you had support from Aaron and her. I tell you what, when we have the Word and the Holy Spirit together combined as we go through those trying times, friends of mine, we get that added support, strength that we need. When we're just about brink of falling apart and a brother and sister from the church gives you a call and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, how are you doing? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you today. And, and, and you feel that encouragement. Wow. When you're just about giving up and you, you might be at the footsteps of doing that thing that you, you shouldn't be doing, but then you come across a brother and sister in your path. Is that ever happened to you? And so Moses, in spite of how spiritual he was, he said, help me. He needed help. Friends of mine, there's no arrogance. There should be no arrogance in following God, in going through that journey. We all, we might be on different spiritual paths, but there will come a point where we will need help. There will come a point where we may need help from each other. There will come a point where we will need much more help than we have right now. And so we should not be feel, we shouldn't feel that we're alone in this thing. And Moses uh, did not feel that he was alone. But friends of mine, in winning this battle, I want to I close with a few quotations here. There's a couple of them. So we know that the Israelites won. As the Hebrews triumphed when Moses was reaching his hands towards heaven and interceding in their behalf, so the Israel of God prevailed when they by faith take, uh, take hold upon the strength of their mighty helper. Very important here. Yet divine strength is to be combined with human effort. Could, could Jesus have rolled that stone away? Lazarus's tomb. So why did he ask the guys to do it? (laughs) 
I want to finish this. Moses did not believe that God would overcome their foes with Israel remained inactive. While the great leader was pleading with the Lord, Joshua and his brave followers were putting forth their utmost efforts to repulse the enemies of Israel and of God. So in this battle, we all need to be active. Whatever spiritual gifts, whatever talents, whatever abilities that God has given you, do it to the glory, his glory. Partaking in a miracle is something that increases our relationship with the God that we serve. uh, In bringing forth Israel from Egypt, the Lord again manifested his power and his mercy, his wonderful works in their deliverance from bondage and his dealings with them in their travels through the wilderness. Listen to that. Were not for their benefits alone. Wow. So are you saying I'm going through trials, I'm going through that journey, I'm going through that process of sanctification, you know, temptations here and there, and you're telling me that this is not just for me when I gain victory over it. Listen to this. The Lord, listen, these were to be as an object lesson to the surrounding nations. The Lord revealed himself as a God above all human authority and greatness. As Israel defeated the Amalekites, the surrounding nations began to understand the God that the Israelites served was the God of the universe. Friends of mine, as we are going through our life's journey today, whatever we might be going through, there are people around us observing us. There are people around us looking to see how are we now going to get over that battle that we're facing? How are we going to get that victory? And as we show them that we, we gain that victory on our knees and they begin to see our lives change, then they understand what a mighty God these people serve. The history of the wilderness life of Israel was chronicled for the benefits of the Israel of God to the close of time. The record of God's dealings with the wanderers of the desert in all their marchings to and fro in their exposure to hunger thirst, weariness, and in the striking manifestations of his power for their relief is fraught with warning and instruction for his people in all ages. Underline that part. The varied experience of the Hebrews was a school of preparation for their promised home in Canaan. God would have his people in these days review with a humble heart and teachable spirit, the trials through which ancient Israel passed, that they may be instructed in their preparation for the heavenly Canaan. And I want to end with this amazing quote there, which really summarizes that journey that the Israelites had to go through. And how important it is that we understand that we too are now going through A journey to the promised land. In that journey, we will be faced with things like climate change. But has the earth always been changing weather patterns? Is it only now? How about about Noah? Was that a climate change as well? Why is is it now becoming such a big thing, climate change and, 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 and... 
and trying to create a day of rest and so on. The journey that we're facing today, we may be faced with things like same-sex marriage. How do we then begin to, to, to look at these things and, 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 and deal with it? The journey that we are faced today, young people, we've got Snapchat, Facebook, we've got Instagram. Those things then become an idol in our lives. We've got no time for the Bible. How, we, how do we then gain victory over such things? And so, and, so, and so with that journey that the Israelites went through, it's a journey that we all have to then go through as well. Before we hit the land of Canaan, before we hit that promised land, we have to go through it. The question is, how do we deal with it? Do we complain and murmur as the Israelites did? Or do we access the power that God has provided to us? Ask him and he will give us the ability to overcome and to win that battle. It is not our battle, but give that battle to God. This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park SDA Church. In heavenly armor we'll enter the land belongs to the Lord. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. When the power of darkness comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up the standard, the power of His blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory. Your enemy presses in hard, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend, your redemption is near. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory. sing glory, honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory, honor, 
Kate Hollingsworth singing Victory Prayer. Before that, we heard The Battle Belongs to the Lord by Halal Music. Welcome to the book reading program of 3ABN Australia Radio. Does your faith need a boost? Do you think that miracles only happened in Bible times? Think again. Compiled by Remnant Publications, the book Get Ready for a Miracle recounts true stories that prove that when we step out in faith, God displays His power in undeniable ways. Here is our reader, Sandra Ashton. This story is entitled Debit Dilemma. Luke 12, verse 27 to 28 reads, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? What would we do? I had a speaking engagement and we would be flying in a couple of weeks. Our planned itinerary required a car rental. Our dilemma was 
that we needed a credit card to secure the rental, but we did not have one. We had a bank card that could be used as a debit card, but the car rental we needed to use did not accept debit cards. They required a credit card. We had prayed and explored every option, but had no solution. Satisfied that we were about God's business and trusting that He would provide, we boarded the plane. Having retrieved our bags, I told my husband Ray I would stay by the luggage claim while he went to rent the car. Truthfully, I couldn't bear the embarrassment of being turned away at the car rental counter. Ray's quiet faith was greater than mine. Still, I prayed, asking God to forgive my doubt and fear and petitioning his help. When Ray returned, I nervously asked, what happened? He said he approached the counter, asked to rent a car, and, although the sign indicated very clearly that debit cards were not accepted, at the appropriate time, he handed the attendant his debit card. It was as though the attendant was blind. He took the card, processed the rental, returned the card, said thank you, and gave instructions on where to pick up the car. Despite my lack of faith, God stepped in and met our need. What was then a debit dilemma became a faith builder. A reflection associated with this story comes from the Acts of the Apostles 564. Through the exercise of faith, the believer comes into possession of these blessings. Through faith, every deficiency of character may be supplied. Every defilement cleansed, every fault corrected, every excellence developed. Debit Dilemma was written by Debbie Young from Quiet Moment Radio in Ypsilanti, Michigan. You can visit quietmomentradio.org for more information. You've been listening to the book reading program by 3ABN Australia Radio featuring Get Ready for a Miracle. For more information about this book, visit remnantpublications.com. It's been a pleasure bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.